There's no Pinterest perfect family. All of our families are awkward. Thank you for joining Crosspoint Fellowship Podcast of My Awkward Family, designed to knock some of the awkward out of all of us. That, that's awkward on many levels, um, many levels. So if you have an awkward family story, um, we are saving some of the best for last, really, seriously, some of the best ones you have not seen. So make sure you see Lydia in the back. As, as you could uh, quickly tell, um, I, I, I caught the crud uh, towards the end of this past week. I hadn't had voice issues until you know, five minutes ago when I needed to talk. So we'll see how this, we'll see how this ends. Um, it, it may not end well uh, for me. Maybe it'll end well for you, but it may not end, end well for me. So every family has rivals. Every family has, has rivals. And bigger than the Hatfield and, the, and McCoys, but be, every family has rivals that, that eat at and dig at their, their family. Song of Solomon 2.15 says... Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. In the middle of, in the middle of Song of Solomon, and chapter 2 is a pretty steamy chapter in Song of Solomon. And some of you, when I said Song of Solomon, some of you were like, yes, but then you got you know, disappointed by the fact that I you know, brought up a verse about foxes. That's kind of boring, right? So put it down, write it down. We're probably going to have a Song of Solomon series this time next year, so you know, just get excited about that and put that down in your planner and, and, and everything. So, um, but this in the middle of all these steamy passages in Song of Solomon, the woman, the wife, tells her husband, Solomon, hey, look, there's these foxes. They're in our garden of love. We've got to catch them. We've got to catch them because the grapevines are blossoming. We're not going to get any fruit from our garden of love if we don't catch these little foxes. I've seen a, a fox or two live. They're, they're pretty stealthy. They're pretty fast. You actually don't see a lot of foxes out live. Like, yeah, maybe you go to the zoo and see one in a cage, but you don't see a lot of foxes out live. We used to live on a golf course in, in Heber Springs. Now, don't get too impressed. There's a redneck golf course. and It's a good golf course, but it's a redneck golf course. So don't, don't get too impressed. But it was outside the city of Heber Springs. Now, Heber Springs is like Republic. It's about the size of Republic, actually a little bit smaller, without the city attached to it. Okay, so <clears throat> it's on the south side of the Ozark Mountains, uh, about an hour north of Little Rock. And, and in fact, they were so used to wildlife, they would have deer hunts in the city limits in order to thin out the deer population in the city limits. So you'd see wildlife everywhere, but you just didn't see a whole lot of uh, foxes. And I saw a couple of them out on the golf course. But one day I was, I was golfing. I, on the 15th, uh, 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 the 15th hole, I was, I was golfing. I hit my drive and hit my drive out there. And I went out and, and I could see something out in the middle of the fairway. And as I approached, it was a fox. There's a fox laying there in the middle of the fairway. And he looked like this. Actually, more like this. He's laying down. It was dead, dead in their doornail. My first thought was, I bet the greenskeeper doesn't really want this in the middle of their, in their golf course, and I probably ought to tell him when I see him. My second thought was, there's not a whole lot of things that can catch a fox. What on earth caught this fox? I might need to stay inside at night instead of go, going out. And 
yes, we would hear coyotes every once in a while howling at the moon. So it's probably, probably a coyote. Not many things catch a fox. They're, they're sly. They're stealthy. They're fast. You don't know what they say. There we go, it hit. And as pointed out in this verse, women are the, probably usually the first ones to catch them when we talk about them figuratively. Because, look, we can let little foxes go in our relationship. And they dig up our garden. And they dig up our, our garden of love. And, 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 and love doesn't produce the fruit that it's supposed to produce. We've got to recognize the foxes. We've got to see the foxes. See, guys, we've got to listen, right? Because our wives, they're going to be the first ones to recognize the foxes. We've got to listen. And we've got to pay attention. And we've got to see the foxes. We're going to go back and read the story that we read the first week of this series. I'm going to reread it so that those that, that haven't been able to be here, uh, this, this series can, can be caught up with it. But what we're doing is we're in the middle, right, right in the middle of my awkward family. And <clears throat> we started with, with, with my awkward husband, and we saw, that, we saw that husbands are men, that when things get overwhelming, what they do is disconnect from reality, go into their man cave. Women, what happens, we, we saw this last week, women and wives, what happens is when things get overwhelming, the comparison and perfection game gets overwhelming, you get negative. But we see a way out for both of those. This week, we're going to relook at the story from a different angle, from an angle from this rival standpoint, from this, from this fox digging in the garden standpoint, so that we can recognize the foxes. First Samuel 1. One, there's a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, son of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Paniah. This was an awkward family. He had two wives, all right? Hannah, uh, Paniah had children, but Hannah did not. He had two wives because Hannah was his first wife and she cannot bear children, and children was the most important thing in that day, especially, especially sons, so that the bloodline can continue. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. Now, it was an awkward family, but they had an imperfect faith. They were not perfect in their faith, and God ended up using this family, even through their awkwardness, even through their imperfect faith, God used this family to change the course of His nation. And I want this series to bring us hope that we don't have to be an awesome family. <laughs> we don't have to have perfect faith for God to use us. We just have to be moving in the right direction. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Evidently, Ferb didn't make the cut. We'll, we'll look at Hophni and Phinehas last, or next week. These are swell individuals. In the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Paniah and, and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her one, only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. The, 
I don't like the translation necessarily that I'm using this morning, how they translate this sentence. But pretty much every other translation says that Elkanah loved Hannah, so therefore he gave her a double portion. He gave Paniah a portion, <clears throat> basically one-third, and he gave Hannah two-thirds. So Paniah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. So Paniah would mean girl Hannah. So Hannah was distressed and discouraged, angry, complaining. We looked at that last week. Paniah was a mean girl. Now Hannah was distressed because she couldn't have children. Paniah was a mean girl because Hannah got Elkanah's love. Year after year, it was the same. Paniah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be re reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? I said this two weeks ago, but for those of you that weren't here, yes, most of you know better than to say that, right? Than to ask that, fellas, right? Like, aren't I better? Like, don't answer that question, right? This is the guy version of, does this make me look fat, right? And don't, answer, don't ask that. Don't answer it. Don't, just stay away from it. Sorry, I don't usually bring water up, but today I think it's going to be necessary. So, all right. <clears throat> family rivals. What are we looking at? Family rivals in this story. First of all, we have a relational rival. A relational rival. A relational rival is anything that digs at deep relationships. Anything that digs at deep relationships. So for a family, a married couple, a family with children, anything that digs at the beauty of the deep relationship that you have with your spouse and your, and your children. For those of you that are single, you're still supposed to have deep relationships with people. So anything that would dig at a deep relationship. Now some of you, some of you may say this morning, you're like, well, <clears throat> good news. This bro, he had two wives. I ain't got two wives. I'm good, right? See, this is the Dr. Phil effect or the Maury Povich or Jerry Springer or Judge Judy, whoever's today on TV. I don't keep up with that genre of TV. This is the Dr. Phil effect. You watch Dr. Phil every once in a while to go, hey, at least I'm better than that, right? At least our family's better than that. So let's set the bar somewhere above Dr. Phil, all right? Set the bar somewhere a little bit higher than Dr. Phil. So what are some relational rivals that show up in our life? Let's start easy. Well, it's hard, but it's easy. The easy place to start. Lust. Relational rival. Now, <clears throat> sometimes we make a bigger deal out of lust than what it really is. Lust isn't going, she looks good, he's handsome. Look, come on. Everybody has their celebrity crush, right? Okay, right? You might not have admitted it or not, but everybody has your celebrity crush. Mine, mine I mean, let's just, you know, get it out there, right? Mine's Amy Adams. Now, that was great. That was great until we were going to a restaurant. We were going to a restaurant. Just being real, all right? Just being real. Going to a restaurant, and the waitress 
And we frequented this restaurant to the waitress that we normally had looked like Amy Adams. And Nicole was like, we can't go to this restaurant anymore. <laughs> Lust isn't going, okay, they look nice, all right? They, they're, they're good looking. Look, you would never get married if you didn't go, woo, right? Lust is wanting that. Wanting that. That's what lust is. Another, another preacher def defined it th this way. Lust isn't looking once. Lust is circling around the block to look again. That's lust. And that's a rival. Why? You've got something digging at a deep relationship with the one that you're supposed to have a deep relationship with. Let's take that a step further. Porn. Here you're intentionally seeking out ways to lust. Intentionally. You're saying, I will go out of my way to lust. I will pay money to lust. Did you know, science has proven, anytime we get sexually aroused, there is chemicals released that wire our brains to say, this is how it's supposed to be. And especially if we go to orgasm. But anytime we get sexually aroused. So if we are getting sexually aroused to porn, what that is doing is telling our minds, this is the way it's supposed to be. Fellas, married guys, what you're doing is telling your wife, whether or not it's secret or not, you're telling your wife, this is the standard I want. I know you can't live up to that, but this is the standard I want. And you're allowing foxes to dig at the deep relationship you're supposed to have. Single guys, what you're doing is one day, you're either going to look your wife to be or your wife in, your eye, in, in her eyes and say, I've looked. And you set up a standard for your wife that she will say, I cannot live up to. You're allowing foxes to dig now. Get in the way now of the relationship you're supposed to have. And look, the reality is, statistics show 99 out of 100 men deal with porn and the other is lying, right? It's a problem. It's a deal that everyone deals with. The problem isn't necessarily the fact that we have to struggle against it. We still live on planet Earth where righteousness and unrighteousness are mixed. And we have to deal with it. But are we going to recognize the foxes? This is what we're talking about right now. Recognizing the foxes that dig at our relationships. Now, ladies, we know you're not visual, right? There's some of those magazines for you, but not as much. But there is a genre, right? Mommy porn. Now, look. No matter what Jesus teaches... The object 
is not the sin. The object only pulls out the sin that's already in our heart. So some of you, now unlike, I don't know, mommy porn, daddy porn, I don't know. Unlike that, it's pretty hard to see, you know, that's going to pull out lust. Women, obviously, more complex. Guys pretty much just see like, right? Ladies, more complex. So you can read something, you can see something that completely doesn't affect you. It doesn't, that, that sin is not in your heart, so it doesn't pull it out. For the rest of you, the sin is in your heart, so it does pull it out. Are we going to recognize the foxes? Are we going to recognize the foxes that are digging at our relationships? A good way to find out for anybody is the more defiant you are when you hear about the little foxes, I don't have a fox. You probably do. If you're just like, eh, whatever, no big deal. It's not a fox. See it all over Facebook, right? I can watch this if I want to. Fox. It's a fox. We've got to recognize the foxes that are digging out of relationships. And porn is a huge fox. Stealthy. It's secret. But it's a fox. That we've got to recognize. This isn't a, uh, We haven't even mentioned flirting. Somebody other than your spouse. Please flirt with your spouse, please. Not even to mention affairs. At that point in time, you've let the whole herd, the herd, gaggle of foxes, whatever multiple foxes would be, whatever, whatever that pa pack, pack, maybe it's pack, pack of foxes, that works. You've let the whole pack into the garden. At that point in time, you've got to recognize the foxes. Somebody's going to Google it, I know. You've got to recognize the foxes. But there's more relational rivals than just sexual. Maybe for you, it's you're a workaholic. And your wife is jealous of your work because your work is the one you're having an affair with. And it's getting in the way. Now, I say wife generally because it's the guy that's the workaholic, right? <clears throat> it could go both ways. Maybe, maybe it's anger. I mean, I deal with this. I deal with intensity. Kids were home all week from school. It makes me wonder what we do during the summer. And, ah, lose it. Then you get sick and you've got a shorter fuse and et cetera. Foxes, right? Maybe. It's devices, iPad, iPhone, TVs in every room. We can all go and medicate on our own device everywhere. Gaming, hobbies. Look, there's nothing wrong 
with recreating. There's nothing wrong with taking rest and having hobbies and going to play golf. If you want to go play golf today, go knock yourself out. I would rather. And I like golf. But does she, does he long for the relationship you once had and actually get jealous of an inanimate object because you're allowing foxes to dig at your relationship because you'd rather go play golf or have a hobby or have a gaming deal, problem, addiction, whatever you want to call it. Facebook, Pinterest, and it's easy for all of us to get off in our own space with our own devices and we communicate by texting each other, right? Inside our own house. Dinner's ready. <laughs> Nobody has that big of a house here. Like, <clears throat> maybe some of you, you just have, you're the millionaire next door and you do. I don't know. I haven't been in all of y'all's houses, but nobody has that big of a house. <laughs> Relational rivals. Remember, at this point in time, we're just recognizing the rivals. We're recognizing the foxes, all right? We'll get deeper in just a minute. Relational rivals. Are there foxes digging at your relationship? Can you pick them out? Another rival that Elkanah allowed was a financial rival. And again, we could Dr. Phil the dude, you know? Well, this would kind of be like me having an affair and going to my wife and saying, what are you so upset about? You get two-thirds of my income and she only gets one-third. I'm, I'm not doing that. Well, let's talk about financial rivals that we might deal with. See, first of all, a financial rival is anything that digs at financial freedom. Anything that digs at financial freedom. And I want you to know that God wants you to have financial freedom. And it's possible to have no matter what budget you have, no matter what income you have. One rival is not budgeting. No, budgeting is restrictive. No, no it's not. Now, we're not awesome at budgeting. We're not great at it. But for instance, we have about $100 for housing supplies beyond our um, mortgage. And so we get to the end of the month, we've got a $50 item standing before us, and we're like, we'd like that to end the house. And there's $60 in the budget. Guess what we have the freedom to do? Buy that $50 item. It's free. If we get to the end of the month, we see a $50 item. We have $30 left. Well, freedom is to go ahead and buy it anyway, right? No, freedom's not doing whatever we want. Freedom is enjoying doing what we do. Because debt is a little fox that digs at our financial freedom. I'll just charge it. See, this was a fox for us especially me. Allowed debt, credit cards, that stupid point game. One point every $100. Hey, we just 
use the credit card and collect it. I didn't get jack squat from those dumb points. Jack diddly squat. But we got bondage because we paid off meals years later. Meals. Years later. It's not freedom. Debt will claw at our relationships. Some say that financial rivals is the number one hindrance to relationships, marriage relationships. Singles, you want to take care of 95% of your first year problems? Walk into marriage without debt. Be fanatic about it. Take care of 95% of your first year problems. First year is the toughest. How about that? Set that out as a vision. What if? Imagine. We've done this. This is what keeps us going. Imagine all the money you spend on debt every month you having in your pocket. Imagine that. We're close. We got student loans left and then the mortgage. We're close. We're imagining. It's an extra dollar in our pocket. For every dollar that you spend on debt, that's a dollar back in your pocket. Actually, a dollar plus your interest. Imagine what you could do with that. Imagine also the fact that maybe some of you work a job that you hate because you have to pay debt off that you don't really have anymore or you don't have the object anymore just because you've got to make so much money. Imagine being someone that doesn't have to worry about the salary you make because you aren't in debt at all. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that. I mean, we're, we're starting to imagine what it would look like if we didn't have a mortgage. I don't know how close that is. It's a long ways off, but imagine that. What would you do with that money? You want to give yourself a pay raise? Get out of debt. Instant pay raise. Little foxes. Little foxes digging in our financial freedom. Secret purchases. You have a secret credit card? Have a secret stash of cash? Well, he doesn't know. She doesn't know. So, so therefore, it's not, it's not bothering our relationship. Ah, it's a fox that's digging at your relationship. You can't keep secrets and it not dig at your relationship. Impossible. Impossible. Purchases you don't really need. 2006, when we finally hit our moment. We've, we've got to get out of this. We're like... 43,000 channels, and we watch three, and we pay $60, $70 a month. Don't need this. Don't need it. So we did the unthinkable, right? Got rid of cables so that money can go to debt. 
Maybe purchases you don't even need. Financial freedom. What digs at your financial freedom? Singles, again, do whatever you can to stay or get out of debt now. It'll dig at your, it'll dig at your relationships now. You've got to work a certain job just to pay off the jeans that you charged up. Does that sound fun? Doesn't right now. When you stand in front of the jeans, it sounds fun, right? Now, this doesn't mean don't enjoy the purchases you make. This doesn't mean don't, don't make <clears throat> big purchases. It means recognize the foxes that dig at your financial freedom. Like Nicole, she, last year she bought some special jean that was more expensive. Because it'll last her longer. And what? We had the cash. She had the cash to go pay for it from Christmas birthday money. She's got expensive jeans. They're indestructible. At least that's what I tell her. <laughs> so she'll never have to buy jeans again. Right? That's what, that was the promise. Right? No? Okay. Relational foxes. Here it comes. There's another rival. This is actually one that Elkan I got right. Worship rival. <clears throat> he worshiped God by the prescribed method that God outlined in the Old Testament. And he led his family in that worship. And he did get this one right. A worship rival is anything that digs at worshiping God alone. And actually, this is kind of the baseline rival, right? We um, get ourselves into financial bondage because we're worshiping genes <laughs> or food or TVs or you know, possessions. We get into relational rivals because we're worshiping lust or we're worshiping um, a hobby or whatever instead of God alone. If we're pursuing God alone, that's going to take a lot of the issues away. And so what's digging at your ability to worship God alone? Again, busyness is one Too busy, too busy. Um, nobody else does it. It's another, you know, the peer pressure. If Johnny jumps off a cliff, would you type of thing? Um, today, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, so I can use this one. It's too cold to go to church, right? It's too cold. So I'm preaching to the choir. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna offend anybody because you, you came. Now, with that said, God's given us three tools, three tools to worship him with. One is the Bible. He's given us 66 books that is his very words. We can, we can read the word of God. You, you go, what is the will of God for my life? Well, there's 66 books that describe that in pretty good detail. Start there. 
The God of the universe has given you his words written down that will stand the test of time. Somebody this week said, if we are listening to letters written 2,000 years ago, we're going to become irrelevant. We'll get to that in a minute. But we're reading something that happened 4,000 years ago, and it directly applies to our life, doesn't it? These rivals still exist. And God's given us, the almighty God, the God that loves us, that died on the cross for us, has given us his will written down that will stand the test of time. Are we using it? Prayer. He's given us prayer for the everyday. We get the ability to, to talk to the God of the universe that created all of this, that created the stars and the planets and the moon that you look up at night. That same God will listen to you right now. Are we using that tool? In community. Community. Now, Sitting, sitting in a row is not community. I read this week where another pastor is like, the top 10 reasons people don't go to church today. And I've heard pastors like, people don't go to church today. And even our committed are two out of four weeks, blah, 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 blah. Look, I make a big deal out of that if my ego is tied to how many butts are in that seat. But guess what? God didn't give us the tool of a butt in a seat. God gave us the tool of community. So the fact that so many of you stay around after we go through service to talk and laugh and enjoy each other, that's community. Small group, that's community. That here, you know, oh, so-and-so wasn't here this week, but they went to small group. Well, you're still leveraging the tool of community to worship God. It's not about church attendance. It's not about reading your Bible three hours a day or praying five hours a day to prove your spirituality. God of the universe has given us tools to amplify the relationship that we have with him. Are we using those tools? That's the question. We've got to recognize the foxes. We've got to recognize the foxes that are digging at our relationship with each other, our financial freedom, and our relationship with God. And I, today, I actually want you to get mad at the foxes. I want you to get ticked off at the foxes that are, have, the, have the audacity to dig in your garden. Because if we don't get mad at the foxes, we'll just allow the foxes to dig. And we might just pet the foxes. And the foxes will bite us if we decide to pet them. And the foxes will have rabies. And it will destroy us. We just let them go. I want you to get mad. I want you to get ticked off at the foxes that they have the audacity to dig in our garden because we have an enemy that only wants to destroy your life, your marriage, your family. So how do we catch the foxes? First of all, Luke 3, 
Eight, therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. When John the Baptist was starting to introduce Jesus, before Jesus started his ministry, this is something that he said, produce fruit consistent with repentance. We repent. We repent. And repentance is simply confession with action. It's a grace of God that he has given us repentance. The fact that he's died on the cross for all of these foxes. Because these foxes go crazy in our gardens. He died on the cross so that we can have victory over the foxes. We have to repent. Confession with action. Well, I've gotten to the end of my repentance. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Repentance is unlimited. Unlimited. Repentance is simply going, God, I've let these foxes dig. I want a different life. I want something different. Because the reality is, is that we can't catch the foxes. We can't kill the foxes. It's through Jesus that we find victory from the foxes. We've got to repent. I've repented of every one of these three rivals. We're never going to have perfect faith. It'll be imperfect. That's why he's given us repentance. And his grace is always available. And then we pursue righteousness at all costs. The Sermon on the Mount is actually about righteousness and pursuing righteousness at all costs. The keynote, the keynote um, scripture is Matthew 5, 6. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed for they will be filled. Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do we pursue righteousness at all costs because God will fill us with his righteousness? He says this in the, in, the, in, the, in the line of financial freedom and worrying about what we need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give everything you need. We don't have to worry about our needs. <clears throat> we don't have to worry about our needs because God's got that covered. We just have to seek him and pursue him and his righteousness. He's got that covered. And maybe like us with the cable, Maybe he's providing what we need. We just have to recognize and cut out because we're pursuing righteousness because this is the next thing he talks about. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. But this isn't legalism. This isn't proving your spirituality by cutting off your hand. What Jesus is getting at is that will we pursue righteousness at all costs? Will we cut out of our life those foxes that are digging at our garden? Will we get so ticked at them that we want them gone? Are we going to play with the foxes? There's no middle ground. Now the context is sexual, lost, emotional adultery. But the application could be made to whatever fox we're talking about. Are we willing to only have one TV in the main room to kill the fox. 
Are we willing to have one computer in the main room to kill the fox? Five to ten. iPads gone. iPhones gone to kill the fox. What are we willing to, to do to kill the fox? And use wisdom. Righteousness and wisdom go hand in hand, but they are different. Righteousness is right living in God's eyes. Wisdom is the ability to do that. Solomon had all kinds of head wisdom. But as he went along in his life, he lost righteousness. He lost the path of righteousness. And I believe that he would tell us if he were standing here today. How do I know? How do I know what he would tell us? Well, he wrote it down. I believe that if he was standing here today, he would tell us, I really lost wisdom when I lost righteousness. Yeah, I could spout out wisdom, but I really lost wisdom when I lost righteousness. Righteousness is the, is the living rightly by God's standard. Wisdom is the ability to use that. While I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. <coughs> he was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman strolling down the path by her house. And he goes on to paint this picture of this one man. He went over just to see. We know that once we're at the corner, we've lost, right? We haven't done anything, but we've lost. Wisdom says, I'm not going to the corner. Righteousness, I believe, I mean, we're sitting here. I believe we know what the righteous thing is. Wisdom is the ability to use that. I have, I, wisdom, have riches and honor, as well as enduring wealth and justice. Wisdom's gifts are better than gold, even the purest gold. Wisdom's rages are better than sterling silver. Wisdom walks in righteousness and passes justice. Those who love wisdom inherit wealth. Wisdom will fill their treasuries. You want financial freedom? Follow wisdom. Solomon's given us 31 books of wisdom, of Proverbs, of just life wisdom. He gave us Song of Solomon for sexual and love wisdom. And he gave us Ecclesiastes for life freedom. Use it. Use it. Use the wisdom God has given you and you'll find freedom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Use wisdom. Always trust in the Lord. When the pressure's on you, will you trust in the Lord? So we didn't read this, but in the, song, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you know what? If you hear my words and follow them, the storms will come. The rays will crash in. The flood waters will rise. But you know what? You're like the house built on the solid rock. Your house will stand. Do you want a house that stands? Or do you want a house that crumbles? Allowing foxes to dig will eat your fruit. It'll eat your fruit. The fruit that your relationship is supposed to have, it'll eat at it. Are you mad enough at the foxes to capture them and kill them? Because that's what Jesus wants for your life today. It's what God wants for your life today. And we want to create a safe people that we'll have people in the back. If you want to come talk to us about your foxes, 
We're not going to be in shock. We're not going to shame you. We're going to pray with you and help you kill the foxes. And as we pray and we worship, pray to the God who has actually killed the foxes for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that you will get us ticked off at the foxes. Get us upset that, that it's digging at our fruit, digging at our garden and destroying the fruit that you want us to have in our relationship. And that we find that the only thing that will help is that we come before you and beg you to remove the foxes. Lord, let us see you kill some foxes today because people are tired of them. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosspoint Fellowship Podcast. We invite you to join us on a Sunday at 10 a.m.